Silva Bañuelos, uh, born and raised in Borque, New Mexico, in Albuquerque. Uh, my family uh, comes from Santa Fe, New Mexico, as well as Mexico, Zacatecas, Mexico, is where my mother's from, and my father's side of the family is from Santa Fe. And I identify as a revolutionary, queer, femme of color, Chicana, Mexicana, and a community organizer. So I walk this world with many different intersections and I really try and walk these days as my most authentic self. And how, how did you come to that place? So the journey <laughs> <laughs> to your most authentic self is not an easy journey at all. Um, it takes time. It's called life. It is uh, relationships with many different people in your world, reflections, as uh, I also am Mexica Azteca, so I am a fire carrier in our tradition, and part of our medicine is obsidian. So obsidiana is part of the medicine that I carry, and obsidian is the volcanic glass, and that is the reflection of us. It is our Tezcatlipoca. We get to see our reflection of light, our reflection of darkness, um, and anything else that comes in that. So really holding that medicine true for me is really important in, in my work. And did you grow up in a traditional way? I guess tradition is a, traditional is a strange term, but did you grow up learning these stories as a child? So growing up, I am the embodiment of New Mexico. I'm the embodiment of this land, of esta tierra, where uh, New Mexico was Mexico at one point. We have land grants here. We have Mexican land grants. We have Spanish land grants. So New Mexico, I always say, has the youngest memory of being colonized. We were one of the last states to be colonized. So I in finding and attaining and getting to my authentic self, as I said, it was a journey, but really a journey of learning my different cultures, a journey of looking at my Mexican heritage and then diving deeper into my indigenous heritage from Mexico and from this land. And as a Chicana identified person and woman of color, diving into what is my, where are my indigenous roots as a Chicana? And really finding that in my Mexica Azteca tradition. And so in the beginnings of my community organizing around environmental justice, uh, that's where I really was able to connect with my indigeneity. The, uh, as indigenous peoples were caretakers of this earth, of this mother earth, this planet. And it's, it's in my blood. I can feel... Um, I can feel the destruction of this planet and I see how desperately this human race needs to begin to unwind 
what we've done. So doing environmental justice work also was a clear connection to my indigenous culture and the relationship as an indigenous person to this land. And not only just learning medicine, the plants, the herbs that grow on the acequia, where our water comes from, how we irrigate our crops, our, our food. Uh, learning the medicine from the land also means we have to take care of the land. And so if we are to heal ourselves by using the land, we need to have a healthy land. Right now, we're in a crisis of water. The Animas River has turned yellow. Uh, the water is contaminated right now. Our Navajo uh, nation family is really in a critical state of uh, accessing clean water. So there's major movements right now to, to give access to water. So I know, and coming from the desert, how critical it is to have clean water. And so in this journey, I always think about in the future, and the future is now, but learning to collect water. How do you collect water in the desert? Um, really making sure we're recycling and reusing and not just pulling from this earth to where we think she's going to just keep giving and giving and giving. We have to give back at some point. In this journey, I've also become a beekeeper. And, <laughs> and um, the bees have been incredibly important in my journey. Uh, I feel like the bees buzz on the vibration of this planet. And so I look at us as a human race and I compare our speed to the speed of bees, of honeybees. And so if you just think about us getting into a plane, you know, and compare that to a bee that we are in such hyperspeed that we've gone beyond the capacity of this planet. So we have to start to sit back and, and like I said, unwind and really reconnect ourselves to this earth and come back down. And part of that for me comes in the form of community organizing, of bringing our different communities together, bringing movements together, intersecting movements, um, because with one community being affected, all of us are being affected. As I step into my authentic and whole self, I'm part of the environmental justice movement. I'm part of the reproductive justice movement. I'm also part of the LGBTQ movement. So all of these aspects of who I am, including economic justice and so many other parts of our movement, to bring that together, we would be so strong. So really looking at how do we support each other? How do we build the relationships that will sustain over time? Uh, great lessons of seeing how ego plays into the movement as well. Um, but really ego is what has gotten us to this place. So really getting to a place that's more humble and respectful of this Mother Earth so that we all know our connection and, in a sense, connect to our indigeneity and our relationship to this Mother Earth. I think the 
the term indigeneity is very um, important for all people to remember today. And can you go into that language a little bit and what that exactly means? Absolutely. So for me, connecting with your indigenous self or your indigenous side is part of decolonization. It's a path to decolonizing what has happened to us, uh, decolonizing a frame of thought, and decolonizing a relationship with the Mother Earth, with this planet. So I feel as we start to restore our relationship with the Earth and each other, we start, that's part of decolonization. So we all come from indigenous peoples, and some are further colonized than others. And we also have to be clear as to the land that we're standing on, right here on Turtle Island in the United States, that our Native American communities were the ones colonized on this land. But we can't forget the indigenous peoples that have been colonized in South America, in the Pacific Isles, um, across the globe, where our indigenous peoples have been colonized and are still working to protect traditional and indigenous ways but for me it was incredibly important to really be intentional about learning my indigenous culture my indigenous tradition so that I myself could step into my authentic self but it's beyond that my connection to this earth my connection to the cosmos my connection to uh, my siblings on this planet uh, my my vision of my life is expanding, uh, stepping into my destiny, not just of my visions and dreams, but why I have been earthed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see this lifetime as an opportunity and a chance to make those connections again, to help restore balance and harmony on this planet and whether that's restoring balance and harmony within my own community, within each movement that I've mentioned, specifically these days with the LGBTQ community and uplifting our two-spirit and transgender community because it is time. We uh, can no longer discriminate or perpetuate the violence that we that's happening to our transgender and two-spirit community in uh, the U.S. and around the globe. Right now, this is a community that is being murdered at high rates for just being themselves. So my path to my authentic self is also to hold space for others to be able to step into their authentic self. But that also means we have to hold what life throws at us and find the resiliency within ourselves to be able to face what some of us have to face on a daily basis, whether that's violence, discrimination, uh, homelessness, uh, joblessness, uh, lack of health care, um, and lack of community. So part of my work and in community organizing and looking at organizing as art is really to expand beyond the structures that we're given to look at the ways our communities are marginalized and how can we connect our struggles to be strong for each other and to really make change, impact change, mm. impact how society is treating each other, how we view each other. So 
walking in my authentic self, I feel like I have a great responsibility to also hold space and walk a path that will allow others to also be their authentic self. It also seems like you do a lot of travel with your work and you do a lot of sharing of stories with other organizers and indigenous people around the world. And can you tell me about that type of work? Absolutely. Um, So I have been fortunate and privileged to travel across the world. And part of my journey, I feel a great responsibility to carry the stories of my local community to the other communities I go and visit and learn from. Um, There's an exchange. I'm not just going to learn from other people to bring back home. I go to learn and share our struggles, but also to see where our struggles connect and where they overlap. And then I really see that is a way of intersecting our movements and building those relationships that are so critical for change. The social change and the social justice that we look for in this world does not happen by one community alone. We all must be connected to be able to be revolutionary and to impact what society looks like and to really make a better place, planet, and society for our children and our grandchildren and the generations to come. So I've been gifted by hearing and learning other people's stories, and I've been able to share the stories of our local community and uh, then actually organizing Mm. and making change and connecting not just local movements, but connecting locally, regionally, nationally, and globally. We got hit with globalization in a material sense. With free trade agreements, we just got another free trade agreement that I'm afraid is going to throw us in even more of a hyperspeed in um, the goods that this planet can offer that are tax-free and can move more freely than uh, humans. Um, Again, that's going to increase border security. I mean, it's an industry. And when we look at free trade, we really see how material goods and goods that this planet is producing will travel easier between borders than human beings. So we see this connection between the U.S.-Mexico border and the same company that built that border is the same company that was contracted to build the border in uh, Palestine, in Israel, um, in the West Bank. And so they're built in the same fashion. Snipers, they are um, being built tall. So we see this economic industry that is being, that's based on immigration. And I'm going to go as far as saying the genocide of our people. We see a genocide happening in Palestine. And there's an economic genocide happening in Mexico, where Families in Mexico cannot economically survive anymore. And so people are being forced out of their countries to economically survive, but then they're forced through a border, which then has its own capitalist industry. So to break that cycle, 
we must share the stories so we see where we're connected and where we're no different than our family in Palestine that are regulated at every breath and at every turn. That is a microcosm of what is possible and what is to come. If we don't align, if we don't organize, if we don't connect and build those relationships to decolonize, and to end the war industrial complex, the military industrial complex, because it is gaining off the backs of the peoples of this country and around the globe. Do you have advice for people to become aware of what is happening and ways in which they may connect and share stories? I mean, it can feel so isolating today. Um, you just are hit with all this information. Do you have any ideas or ways to share to process it? Absolutely. So I, I believe strongly that you look at your own backyard. When you start to do this work, what is happening in your own backyard, what's happening in your local community, connecting there. What is the struggle? Is your struggle connected to that struggle? Then get involved, make connections, and then it can grow from there because if you're having that struggle, you're not the only one. There are other people in your local community facing the same thing. There's going to be someone in a neighboring state that is facing the same thing regionally. And then when we start to pull back, we really see that we're struggling all over the world. Our struggles are very similar because these corporations are similar. The IMF, the World Bank, these structural adjustment programs that are happening in developing countries, these are all part of a capitalistic plan and based off material goods from this planet. And so to get to that perspective and to make change, we really must be connected at a local level. And it really can be as easy as being connected to one person. Having this conversation with one other person creates a ripple effect, a pebble in the lake that is going to continue to grow out and out and out and make connections with other ripples. And with that, who knows, we may actually have a wave, <laughs> a wave of justice, a wave of revolution, a wave of consciousness, because really that's where we are coming to, a time to become awake. We must wake up. We are out of time. This planet does not have much more time. We must restore balance and harmony, and we must restore our relationship with this planet. If not, we're not going to make it, and we're all going to be without water and without air, and uh, the planet can't survive, neither can the human race. So really making those one-on-one -on -one connections and being real, being real and looking at making ripple effects to make change in your local backyard. And also, I wanted to ask you about how this affects you personally. How does holding all of this information and organizing at this level affect you, and how do you stay positive and keep going personally? <laughs> it's heavy. It's, it's, it is heavy, and I appreciate the question, but my theme for this year is that self-care is resistance 
and decolonization. Mm. So I am in a place of doing self-care because when you're out doing good work, when you're out doing uh, work that is based in truth and your truth, sometimes you get attacked. Sometimes uh, people can be divisive within community. Um, At times people can be attacked in leadership positions. But I hope that my work over the last 20 years really proves itself of holding a feminist perspective, uplifting marginalized communities, and also representing communities that have allowed me the privilege to share those stories and then bring those home. So the integrity in my work is that of our communities and to really strengthen our communities and not take away from our communities. So... It's a lot of work, it's heavy, but self-care is critical. I'm also understanding that as communities of color in different institutions, levels of stress are also affecting our health. And it's not just violence in a one-time occurrence. There's a systematic violence against our communities of color that we must resist. We must resist. If not, we are disposable. And once we are gone, once we are sick and can't do our work anymore, then they just bring in another person that is going to keep running the same machine. So our vessel, our body is so critical that that is something that I'm learning in this journey of my authentic self is to take care of my vessel, take care of my mind, my heart, and really do self-care as an act of resistance and decolonization. That's a very beautiful way to put it. That's badass. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's something that we don't really hear a lot, you know? It's like, it's such a, a, a formula of oppression is to keep people unhealthy, you know, and keep their minds unhealthy. And so I appreciate you talking about it in that way. And so I want to also say that it's heavy, but you also have to integrate fun and you have to dance and you have to laugh and you have to be light with things. And that's the beauty of the relationships and community organizing. So there's a time to fight and struggle and resist, but there's also a time to celebrate and dance and laugh. Laughing is one of the most powerful forms of medicine we have. So I say laugh as much as you can, (laughs) make each other laugh, and this work is much easier. And our lives then aren't as serious, but then we know when it is time to get to the front lines and be the warriors that we are, we're ready for that, and our bodies and minds are ready for it. And then once we win, once we have victories, once we have made enough ripple effects to impact change, then we can sit back and laugh and and celebrate. But it's important to not be so heavy and serious all the time, but it's critical, actually, to move and dance and laugh and have a smile on your face and connect with nature in a way that's not just about revolution, that's not just about a struggle or a fight. I recently was privileged to go to the Yuba River up in uh, Northern California in the Sierra Nevadas. And I was called so desperately that that crystal clear, cold, cold water was calling me. 
my body, my vessel, my mind was needing that limpia, a limpia of glacier water coming down giant ancient boulders and stones. And so I was able to road trip with a dear friend of mine and uh, got to be in this water. And then I was called to the ocean as a desert being. The ocean is incredibly powerful Mm. and uh, the salt water that we don't get here in the desert. um, I needed to be immersed and held by the ocean. And so I went from the Yuba River to the ocean and um, I got buried in the sand. (laughs) 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 And uh, a medicine woman, a curandera comadre of mine had said, you know why you want to, because I, I mentioned to her I was traveling to the ocean and that I just had this this, this intuition that I needed to be buried in the sand, that I wanted to be buried. And I kind of was giddy and laughing because I felt like a little kid. And she says, oh, no, there's really medicinal properties for being buried in the sand. And so my dear friend and I went out um, in the bay in California near San Francisco and went to the ocean and the spot that we chose already had a huge hole dug for it. And it was, uh, it was almost like a two person hole. (laughs) So my dear friend and I, uh, we stepped right in that hole and a family, a mom and her two kids came by and we just started to, to talk and, and then the children started to bury us. So we totally got buried up to our necks And the medicinal properties of getting buried in the sand up to your neck is that the sand in that, the salt in the sand starts to draw out the toxins in your body. And so in the name of self-care, getting buried in the sand, I was letting go of the toxins that come from stress, of being overworked, of worry, of being attacked, of um, divisiveness. And so for me, it was a moment to connect with nature, let go of all of that so that I could be rejuvenated to come back and do this work. Mm. So nature herself is medicine. She's powerful and beautiful. So I really recommend going and touching base with nature for yourself to breathe in that good air, say hello to the ocean for those of you that know her as Yamaya, loving her, saying hello, and um, really staying connected to this earth so that we don't forget Mm. that we need to come back and restore harmony and balance on this planet. And can you talk about how you, your art of listening, how you retain these stories, how how you're able to pass them on? I think it's a it's a, a dying art, storytelling and learning from that. <clears throat> place. Can you talk about maybe your techniques with that? Well, I'll start out by saying I don't use an iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, I am of the generation of the rotary phone and I hold on 
to the rotary phone like no other. I didn't think that in this lifetime we would be so advanced technologically with computers and phones and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and Bing this, Bing that. But I'm really clear that we have to stay old school. We have to still use the phone and call each other. We have to have one-on-one dialogues. And the way I retain these stories is because it's an exchange. I'm sitting with community, I'm sitting with someone, and they are sharing a part of them and their community within that story. And so within me, I want to hold the integrity of that story. So I listen with my heart, I listen with my open mind, and I am quiet. And I listen, and I don't interrupt And I really allow that time and space to slow down, to build a relationship, to build some trust so that someone can open up and share maybe that struggle that they're facing. And then when I, and then I exchange and share my struggles and my stories or other stories that I carry so that they know they're not alone or that we're all connected So really having an open mind and an open heart and slowing down is really critical to listening and to retain, like I said, the integrity of someone's story. Do you have a way that you deal with fear? Well, I want to pull, I want to kind of separate out feeling nervous and fearing or feeling fearful. To me, I think that there's things asking that question that, is going to really enrich your life and make that connection with someone else. Sometimes I'm nervous and and I guess that can convert into to fear or someone being scared to to speak up. But again, I really look at the gifts of this earth and of our body and being human. So taking deep deep breaths are critical. The air we breathe, our body needs the oxygen, our body needs water. So, you know, when I'm about to speak, if I get incredibly nervous and my heart's racing, I also know that I'm about to speak truth. So I try and embrace that nervousness. I try and embrace the lump in my throat. I try and embrace my heart feeling like it's about to come out of my (laughs) chest cavity. And I breathe and I really try and get grounded and I see myself as a tree. So sometimes I have to breathe in and I really ground in my feet and I move my ankles and heels so they're really grounded in the ground. And then I see my roots extend to the center of the earth. And then I see my arms reach out as branches up to Father Sky. And then I know that I'm totally connected and grounded enough to speak the truth that I need to speak. But I think when fear is coming about violence I think fear in that way is incredibly healthy. The fear is to get out of the way. The fear is that voice telling you, move to the left, then move to the left, because a bus is coming. So I think that fear is good to protect ourselves and also to be aware of what might be harmful to us. But I also think fear is a tactic that has been used against us in a colonial way to control us. I'm going to go back to the Bush era 
and um, remember 9-11 and looking at post 9-11 and how the fear we had as a country was used against us. The fear we had of more violence happening to our communities on this land, on Turtle Island in the United States, was used against us to pass the Patriot Act. It was used to surveillance us in the name of protection because we were a fearful nation. So I feel that fear can be used in a colonial way. And so I really had to demythify that fear that this country instilled in us post 9-11. I wasn't going to be fearful of my um, Middle Eastern community members. I wasn't going to be fearful of someone in a burqa. I wasn't going to be fearful of someone um, that's religion is Muslim. So I had to demystify and I had to take it back to what we've been talking about is that one-on-one relationship. Mm. And seeing each other for who we are, but all facets of who we are, not just, oh, that person is from the Middle East. I'm so scared that violence is, I'm going to perpetuate violence on that person. It's more, okay, I'm recognizing a fear that is coming in a colonial way. And I'm sitting with that. And before I react, I really breathe and I do my grounding techniques again and I engage in conversation and I, I push through that type of fear to not allow it to separate me from community mm. and to make that impact on society and to create more ripple effects. How do you deal with the mainstream American white hetero agenda? Do you... Do you not interact at all or do you face it head on? And when, when do you choose how to, how to interact? I think that the most important thing you said there is um, choice and really looking at the situation. And is a situation something that it is a leader that is impacting uh, many more of us? Um, is it a company? Uh, is it a corporation? Or is it that family member, right? So how do we engage in really looking at, and also going back to self-care, do you have the capacity? You know, we don't have to teach everyone. Mm. We don't have to have that interaction with everyone to, to make our point or to have them understand our perspective. So I think that It's important to think about the questions we ask each other and how we engage with each other because there is a time and place for direct action. There is a time and place for one-on-one conversations and there's a time and place to not interact at all to preserve yourself. So I think it really is dependent. (laughs) That's like relieving to hear in a way because I feel like a lot of times we get so worked up that we feel like we have to be this huge energy and we don't always have it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's, again, and I'll just keep repeating it, self-care is an act of resistance and decolonization. And it is now that I am 
getting deeper into my life, really understanding that I don't have to make change everywhere, that where I make change in one place is good enough. And in fact, it will impact more than I think. And if I'm doing this work, that means somebody else somewhere else is doing that work and our ripple effects are going to meet up and we're going to be that wave and we are going to be that wave of change. But if we're not here to do this work, then we're not here. And so I recently was at a conference that we hosted here at the University of New Mexico uh, by the LGBTQ Resource Center and El Centro de la Raza. And I helped formulate a panel called working in solidarity and across intersection of identity. And it became clear that we had to understand each other and integrate each other in each other's movements to be able to show an impact. Something that I learned by putting that panel together and something that came out is that, and what I learned is once when we heal ourselves, we heal six generations before and six generations to come. So healing ourself is so critical. And that ripple effect goes beyond anything we think that healing ourselves would have. But six generations before means that it's a gift to our ancestors, that we're healing ourselves and we're breaking this cycle. And it's a gift to the gen six generations to come because they're not inheriting what we have and what we're healing from. So to step back a little bit, part of the work that's really interesting me right now there's always work at the forefront. There's always going to be a battle, a struggle that we have to be on the front lines of. But right now, I'm really taking a step back and looking at how do we heal the historical trauma that we have inherited? And I want to be a part of that greater healing. So right now, I'm really looking at gathering my community that is holding and has inherited historical trauma and looking at what are those traditional ways for us to heal historical trauma so that as we heal ourselves, we're healing six generations before and six generations to come. I'm really clear that part of my work in this lifetime and in this journey now is to help restore and heal that historical trauma. I want to... I, the gift I want to leave behind is the secrets to healing historical trauma. Mm. And to me, that's decolonizing. That's, that is undoing a legacy that we've inherited so that we can restore balance and harmony back to this planet and live from the earth again and live connected. And I think it's okay to live off wind and solar energy and really go back in a way where we are living in harmony with this planet, as opposed to just taking and taking and taking. So part of my work and focus right now is healing historical trauma and restoring the memory of society for two spirit people. There, for me right now, there is a clear reintroduction that we must do 
to remind society that we have been here since the beginning of time and that we have been revered in different cultures, in different tribes, in different nations, and we were the medicine people, we held counsel, and we're ancient. So that's part of my work these days, but also to hold space for our community that is marginalized and that hold the LGBTQ identity. Mm. And would you say that you feel like you're making strides as far as um, being impactful in that way? Do you, Are you feeling like you're matching up to what you're setting out to do in this space? Well, my time here at the LGBTQ Resource Center and being the founding director, we have made an impact. We've made an impact in this state. We've made an impact across the country. The same tactics that I have used for movement building, I have brought to my work at the LGBTQ Resource Center at UNM, where we have uh, we host the New Mexico LGBTQ Roundtable. We also have created the Queer Voices Roundtable for students here on campus. So... I also hold space for young people that may be struggling in who they are, questioning who they are, questioning their sexual orientation, questioning their gender identity. Who am I? This is the time, you know, after high school, college, um, where we were figuring out who we are. And it may be the first time we're away from our parents, um, or it may be the first time we're around people that care. So these days, the impact that I hope I'm having and the change that I do see are that we have stronger, more resilient LGBTQ youth mm. and we're building leaders. So we're building leaders that are transgender, that are two-spirit and that are queer, um, youth of color, native um, indigenous youth. So I feel like the work that we're doing at the LGBTQ Resource Center is making an impact, not just within the LGBTQ community, but across every movement, across intersection of identity, because we are everywhere. Mm. So I see that impact happening. I see that ripple effect. And I also feel that if I can provide resources or service to a young person to make their life better, they can give back and they're going to be more resilient and better human beings, really, again, to restore the balance and harmony of this planet and of our communities. Vivo así. Pasó las noches sin dormir En la manera que elegí Para poder contarte Y quiero cantar contigo hasta la muerte Y quiero que recuerdes Que todo lo que canto Es parte de mi vida Can you give us a story or any advice um, to people who might be listening to this podcast from around the world on on organizing from your perspective. Absolutely. So one of my great community organizing mentors, his name is Santiago Juarez. And I was part of an organization called Revisioning New Mexico and New Mexico Pace. And it was Progressive Alliance for Community Empowerment. And these were my younger years of organizing, but I really watched Santiago as he came up from the movement of the 60s and 70s and has represented many of our marginalized communities and really is one of the 
people that taught me the in- intricacies of community organizing. And as we did our statewide work, Santiago took us down to Mesquite, New Mexico, which is one of the colonias right out of right outside of Las Cruces in southern New Mexico. And there's the train tracks that run through Mesquite, and that's where the chemical Roundup um, gets shipped to the U.S. And unfortunately, they were traveling with open um, containers, so this Roundup would become airborne. It would get into the ground. It would seep into the groundwater. So our communities in Mesquite were getting sick. They were getting uh, cancer. They were getting uh, asthma. They were getting uh, bloody noses and stomach aches. And then they were testing the water. They were testing the ground uh, and the earth and the air, and it was all contaminated. So... When Santiago took us down there and I got to work with a commu- one of the community members that ended up leading a lot of the community organizing, Arturo Uribe, it was by participating in that community process of learning and watching and witnessing community come together when there was a problem, the community talking about it and natural leaders rising up to come up with solutions and also being conscious of integrating women, that this isn't men, just men's work. This is all of our work. And there's also a place for young people in this. So we are all critical and vital to this movement of protecting our communities, our, our land, our water, and our air. So when I would go down to Mesquite and work with the community, one of the greatest lessons that I learned was that you must have the most marginalized people or the community that's being the most affected at the decision-making table. And those folks are the ones that get to speak for themselves and make the decisions of what impact is going to happen in their community. Because coming, even though that I was coming from New Mexico, living in Albuquerque, going down to Mesquite, southern New Mexico, it was not my place to tell them what to do. I shared tactics, I shared organizing strategies that I had, but the local community got to take the lead and really make a movement there and make an impact. And since then, there has been some success and that Roundup has been cleaning up some of the contamination. Uh, the, the groundwater, they are working to continue to clean that. Um, working with the uh, Colonia of Mesquite, but the battle continues. The battle continues because Roundup is still being sold, but the most important part is that the local folks are the ones making demands, and it's gone as far as working with the EPA to look at regulations um, and the cleanup, but it took the entire community to make an impact and bring voice to the Helena Con- chemical plant that produced Roundup. So that was one of the most important lessons that I've learned. And I've actually carried that in all of my organizing. I do not organize without that philosophy at the forefront of my work. And it's important to know when to step back. It's important to know when to listen so that other voices can be heard and make the decisions that impact their community.
fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is something that has been coming up so much for me, you know, mm-hmm. just like all these people standing around making decisions for other communities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when you are that marginalized community or when you're being impacted and you see outsiders come in or folks that aren't familiar with your struggle, uh, then that further alienates us. It further silences us. So then that fear we were talking about earlier, then there is a fear of speaking because then does that mean that we're replicating the same systems of oppression that we're battling against? So it's critical to hold those communities at the forefront and that they're the ones making decisions and that when it's time and ready that it can really be an inclusive movement where we intersect. Because again, it's not just one community that's going to impact the change. It's going to take all of us, but it's critical how the decisions are made in that movement. Mm. And I'll also share that the other great lesson, and I've got gained this lesson the further along I've gotten in life and doing this work is self-preservation and self-care. And as I have mentioned, self-care is an act of resistance and decolonization. And so I'm holding that at the forefront of my work and making sure that I am doing enough self-preservation so I don't burn out and that I am building my capacity to organize I am not the only one that can do this. And in fact, if I think I'm the only one, I will fail. So it's building our community, building capacity, also taking a break when I need to take a break. It's important. Our rest is so critical. If we don't take time to rest, we will spin out. We will burn out. And we're not good to anyone, to our community, to the movement, to our families, if we aren't taking care of ourselves. So Mm. as a lesson I'm integrating and working and teaching with the young people I interact with, self-care is an act of resistance and decolonization. If you had a forum like this to speak something to the entire world this is your microphone this is your bullhorn what needs to be said I think that that is an amazing question and I appreciate the opportunity but I think that there's so much I want to say that I'm going to have to put it out there in kind of a poem Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I want to say that we must honor each other we must honor this planet Love is more powerful than fear. Love is more powerful than fear. We have to save the bees. Hands off Asada, release Leonard Peltier and Oscar Lopez Rivera. Walk as your authentic, true self. Respect others, and we must wake up. Our time is now. Son las tres de la mañana Dicen que pena un santito Bajito y oigo que dice Camínale despacito Ay mamá, camínale despacito Mi sueño me dice no vaya Mis piernas me dicen tantito Y cuando ya me doy cuenta 
esta caramba me muevo poco a poquito y mamá me muevo poco a poquito serás tu zapata el que escucho aquí con tu luz La sombra de la selva se escucha un disparo y cayó un gallo negro por la calle de Milagros. Si tú dices que me quieres, pon el todo al todo y te vas tú conmigo. Si tú dices que me quieres, pon el todo al todo. 